Welcome to Top Score. I'm Emily Reese. Extended episodes of Top Score are now part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Share your thoughts online at infiniteguest.org. In 1993, Robin Miller, his brother Rand, and three other friends released a game called Myst. It quickly became the best-selling PC game and continued to be the best-selling game for nine years. I spoke with Robin Miller about Myst's beginnings and how there almost wasn't music in the game at all. I had a bunch of Myst pages open on my on my desktop here at work yesterday and a friend of mine walked by and saw them and he asked me about it today he's like do people still play mist and i was like oh yes people still play mist <laughs> definitely yes they do and they i you know there's also a, a large community of people that listen to the music and so that's that's very rewarding yes so for the audience that will be hearing this that aren't familiar with mist I mean, first of all, this was the best-selling game for almost 10 years. Can you explain what Myst is? Myst was and is an adventure, an adventure game in its simplest form to explain, but it's also, it's a story. And I think that was the thing that we were attempting to, to do. That was the challenge for us, was trying to take storytelling and put it into a nonlinear form. And and we were attempting to take, by story, I, I think we were attempting to take uh, elements like character and, you know, setting and all of these other elements. And then we were taking the player and they were becoming the main character. They were, they were in many ways, deciding their own storyline. And we... We didn't know when we started out, we didn't know if that was possible. We didn't know how successful that would be. done other worlds where there was just absolutely zero story, where there was just a person walking around in a landscape and it was, there was no point to it. It was fun, but it was just exploration. And we really wanted this one to successfully tell a story. And we wanted our main character, the player, to believe that there was other characters in the world. And that was utterly an experiment for us. And it turned out to be a successful. <laughs> uh, it turned out to be successful. It worked. Yeah. Just, you know, to some extent, it worked enough uh, to be, you know, a very popular game. So it, can you set kind of set the landscape for me a little bit about what was gaming like in 1993? What, what were other games like? What set Mist apart from the other players in the field, so to speak? 3D tools were just coming along. 
at that point in time. And when we started work on MIST, we didn't even, I mean, we were just beginning to have access to those tools. So a lot of the games, um, in fact, uh, when we were starting MIST, we weren't going to do the game as any sort of 3D world with, with CG tools, I should say. We were going to hand draw it like we had done our earlier products. And those were a lot of the experiments I did when I first began was just, you know, a lot of drawing and sketching and things like that. So a lot of the games that existed were, you know, console games. And, uh, you know, even text-based adventures existed. Uh, those were some of our inspiration were the t early text-based adventures. That was, I think, something that really, that people saw about Myst that was their first, that they saw and it, it attracted them to that world was it looked much less like a game at that point in time and it looked more cinematic. And there weren't, there wasn't really anything at that point in time that had that cinematic look. Most, all games um, were very graphically simple. Let's define who we is. This is you and your brother, right? Yes. Um, and we started production of the game. Um, and then there was, it, it was a, a very small team of people working on, on Mist, and an extremely small budget as well. Well, actually, right from the beginning of the project, there was another artist working on the game. It was Chuck Carter. Then we had uh, Rich Watson, who is still working at Cyan with my brother. Oh, and um, then we had a guy working at Cyan, uh, Chris Brandcamp, who did our sound. And that's it. That's the whole team. Wow. Five of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Robin, initially there wasn't music in Mist, right? Well, yeah. And there wasn't, uh, initially we didn't, I mean, we were in the part of the production where we didn't have sound music. And I think that was early enough in the production where we probably didn't have, you know, any of the characters recorded we didn't have an idea of you know where we should go with that kind of thing but we had the concept that it would be true to itself and be a real environment a real world um and we didn't want anything to inf interfere with that world with the truth of that world um and by that i mean we felt like the player should be within the context of that world and that music would pull them away. We were so embedded in that idea that we even felt that that if a player died, that, that, that there should be no save feature. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, that if you stopped playing at a certain point, when you started playing again, there that was the point you were at. And you would never be able to save and then go back to an earlier point. We wanted this to be a true experience. You. You know, the player was playing this world. Nothing should pull you out of it.
And we did, to a certain extent, go with that. I mean, there, there was no computerized elements on screen. There was no um, interface elements, um, buttons or things like that. We tried to keep those as little as possible. And we wanted to give people, I'll say, a cinematic point of view. But what we were really attempting to do was just make it the player's point of view in that world or the person's point of view in that world as if they were really there. So we felt, going back to the idea of music, we felt that if you were really on that island, you wouldn't hear music. And um, hearing music suddenly kind of pulled you out of that experience because, you know, you're walking around an island, you're not going to hear that. Um, but but we could, what we could do is put something more like um, environmental sounds that created an ambient mood. And, and that is musical. That is something that is, that can very much be musical, whether it's gears churning or um, wind that is almost tonal. It can become tonal, atonal, um, and can set a mood. And there's movies that do that, and, and they can work incredibly well. by our uh, distributor, like, hey, let's, let's put some music in this. We want to put some music in this. And they wanted to hire someone to do that. We said, no, 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 no. We, you know, let, we'll do the music. We'll, we'll write some music and let's give it a try. And so I did. I wrote a couple pieces for Mist Island. And, you know, it, it kind of worked better than we thought it would work. What, what was it that changed your mind and thought, wow, this really does enhance this environment or whatever? Just to clarify, it worked better than I thought it, it would. We were creating all of this with sort of an innocence. This is brand new. I mean, in, in a certain manner of speaking, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we, we, this is all an experiment. We didn't, we didn't really have a full grasp on what we were doing. We were attempting to create something and, and make it emotionally provoking, but we, at the same time, we didn't fully, we certainly didn't have an idea that it would have, have such a far-reaching uh, effect on people or impact or certainly an emotional impact. You know, we just hoped we would be able to make another game. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when we did the music and we watched it in this environment, we, we kind of felt like that's, that's cool. That's kind of was our point of view. Like, that's cool. That works. <laughs> too much music in Mist now. And <clears throat> when we got to Riven, I really tried to push in the opposite direction. And I tried to make the music more atonal. 
I like I tried to make it feel more like it was like it was a sound effects um, in many ways because I, I was left a little dissatisfied by the music that had been in me and missed. Not that it was, I'm not saying that it was at all bad music. It just ended, I feel that it did um, end up doing what we were afraid of. It ended up pulling people out of certain environments. And, and so we, you know, attempted to, when we were writing the music for Riven, when I was writing the music for Riven, I would create things that was just sort of big washes of atonal sounds and those um i think those tended to work better because you could almost imagine that you know you walked into this large fire marble dome you know it would sound almost like was it machinery was it something in the earth that we were hearing what was that that we were hearing was this it yes it had a, a definite musical sound but you know i was i was using sounds even that were atonal and i was i was doing a lot more of that kind of thing Talk to me a little bit about the technology that existed then to be able to implement music, because it wasn't as simple as just adding music, right? I mean, that took up space and and kind of perhaps limited your ability to use live instruments. I don't know. I'm kind of speaking off the top of my head here, but can you talk a little bit about the limitations of technology and how that worked with putting music in mist? Well, yeah. I mean, for one thing, the, the, any music we wrote had to be very short. It all had to loop. All of the music had to loop. So anything I wrote you know, near the end of the piece, I would have to make sure that it could start right at the, back at the beginning. None of this would be playing live during, like, via MIDI. During Mist, that was like slow-playing CDs, which were really slow to load. Um, and it's a, it's like almost a miracle we even got the game to work, <laughs> much less with music added. And um, I mean, we did things, we did all kinds of weird tricks just to get like those little tiny videos uh, that you see all over the game to even get those things to work. And it's so funny to see it now because, you know, we get full screen videos to work online now with just so easily. But at, back then to get a little tiny like thumbnail video, we were so excited when we could put those on a CD on these like slow playing CDs. We see like Atris come up in the book. And, and actually, that's one of the reasons we put those brothers. We were thinking, how can we have these brothers? And I'm veering off onto a, a different subject. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but we were, you know, how can we have these brothers in prisons? Well, we, we can't actually put them in prisons because we can't do that with video. You know, so let's think of a really creative way uh, whereby we can show video in a very small little tiny area and that will work um, because that's you know the video is constraining us to a very small area 
Well, if we put them in these little book screens, we can do that. So much of a lot, or at least a lot of our game design was written around our, the constraints of the technology and the constraints of the speed of the CD-ROM, the constraints of even, you know, QuickTime technology that happened again and again. And uh, then as far as that applies to the music, the music, I, I didn't, I could at least write the music with as many instruments as I wanted, but it, it had to be fairly short because... We just couldn't keep pulling and pulling from the disc. One of the things, though, that was kind of an annoying constraint is because of the budget we had for uh, Mist, I was I had one synthesizer, and I was using and I don't remember the name of the sequencer I used on on the Macintosh back then, but I wrote everything like pulling it from just one. Synthesize a Proteus MPS Plus. That's what I think that was it. Oh, no. And then I mixed it all, not on the Mac, with, with, but I mixed it on the synthesizer, and I got all my effects from the synthesizer. So what you are actually hearing when you hear that, that music is it's like everything, like dumped directly from that synthesizer. Wow. So it's, it's just sort of like, you know, that is... I think that is representative of the entire game. <laughs> it, was, it was the kind of project where, you know, just a very low budget and we made do on everything. We, made, we just made it work. But at the same time, that's not a bad thing. It causes you, it kind of forces you to be creative and it forces you to make very quick decisions as well. And you don't spend too much time saying, okay, should it be this or this or this or this? And yeah, um, but you just make quick decisions. This is what it's going to be, and you jump into it, and that's kind of the spirit of how we did Mist. surprised i imagine maybe you are but are you surprised with how i guess durable the game has proven to be and that people do still play it they still listen to the music they love the music rightfully so because it's fantastic music what's that process like for you nowadays hmm yeah well as far as the game yeah being so durable <laughs> well, there and have being been a classic, some yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, it's astonishing. Honestly speaking, when it came along and it came out, we, Rand and I, felt there was something there. We knew it was different. I'll say we believed we believed in what we had, and we never, ever in a million years thought that it was going to be this best-selling game and it was going to explode like it did. We just didn't anticipate that, but we did know it was different. And I think probably anybody who has something different like that 
understands that it's different and understands that something might happen um, or understands that people might enjoy that or, or, or under, you know, respect that or appreciate it. And so we felt that. To this day, it's, it's still unbelievable to me that it's become a classic. I'm incredibly honored to like be a part of the mist, <laughs> the mist thing. Yeah, you know, it's just um, it's like how can that have happened? It's wild, you know. Um, I'm sure a large part of it is also just luck. You know, it's just like uh, it's I, I don't even know. I it's hard to put that into words. And your life has taken kind of a different path now. You you do a lot of work with film and directing and writing, yeah. correct? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I just did. Um, I started a production company and I wrote a film and directed a film called The Immortal Augustus Gladstone. And yeah, it's about a, a guy who believes he's immortal. And it's a fictional documentary set in sort of a style where we follow this character around and he continues to promote this belief that he's immortal. Eventually it comes to a point where some of his beliefs kind of become even more outrageous. And it's almost as if then the presence of the film crew begins to provoke other things happening in his life. And, you know, he ends up taking a trip to Vegas and, you know, a, kind of a snowball thing kind of starts happening in his life. And But we had a ton of fun shooting that film. I had a ton of fun working on that film. And I also got to do the soundtrack for that, which, you know, is it was an entirely different process, um, you know, than working on the soundtrack for a video game. So I, I really had a blast. One of the things I think was especially fun for me was like coming back to all of the technology for music now, which is just so entirely different because I, I'm not a professional. I don't get to do this all the time. I dabble in it. But, you know, working on that music, it was just like I was a kid in a candy store. Yeah. And I, it was, I just had so much fun. And I, I was very pleased with how that music turned out. I was so, I, it was just a lot of fun. I think one of the most fun and satisfying things is seeing people, I mean, the, seeing this large community of people who have jumped in and made Mist their own. It was sort of me and Rand's baby when we started out, you know. We had this, like, little precious thing, and we created it, and we then gave it to the world. And what happened was something I never expected to happen in a million years was that people took it, and it became theirs. And that was shocking and surprising to me that, you know, whole communities of people then grew up around this thing.
you do a search <laughs> for Minsk, and there's just like hundreds, if not thousands, of paintings and communities and discussion groups and you know lang language uh, guilds. You know, there's a there's a mist language and people. There's people very who take it very seriously. There's people who just enjoy it. And it's like, it doesn't belong to us anymore. <laughs> um, it's like this, it's like this world out there. And that's like such a thing that's broadly satisfying and astonishing and fun and something I never expected. Uh, you know, you can never, ever, ever expect that to happen with anything you create. You can never anticipate that. You can never make that happen. And that's been the most satisfying part of this whole thing. desire to create something I mean like any good story I think there is you know layers of meaning of some sort and so in regards to mist um, we wanted the player to make some sort of choice now in mist the choice becomes simple it's kind of a it's a mystery in its simplest sense and the player has uh, his father and these sons and you know it's like well who is is there somebody guilty here? Who's done what? Um, is there a bad guy or a good guy? I think we, yeah, we wanted the player to make some sort of decision. And we always said, we always dreamed, at least, that there would be some sort of ethical decision, as if they were a character in a story, that they, the the, that the player would be put in the point of making this ethical decision. But I was going to add that I don't. I was going to add about Mist that I think at the very end of Mist, there is still ambiguity. Um, no matter which way you go, or at least when you, after you feel you've you've made the right choice, I think there's you know what whatever that would be. There's there's still a bit of like um, ambiguity, and that's something that I think is kind of interesting. I don't know how many how clear that was, but. That's, that's interesting to me. I like works where there are where there is ambiguity and you know I think that that does tend to attract me whether or not that attracts a larger audience I think you know um, what really attracts people and what really attracted people at that point in time was the fact that they just they were playing the main part of in this mystery and that had never come along before it was like a whole new way of storytelling you know, for the people who finished it, that you're right. I think that may have been the thing that attracted people. 
was like they they did get to this end and and it had it maybe felt a little it maybe felt real to a certain extent like there was a little even ambiguity within that story Thanks so much for this. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you for listening to Top Score, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Check out some of our other programs like Home Dunk with John Moe or Secret Skin with Open Mike Eagle on Infinite Guest. Visit infiniteguest.org. Top Score is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. I had production help from our production assistant, Pierce Huxtable, and that's Top Score from American Public Media. I'm Emily Reese. (music) 